0: Welcome to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you. How are you, Kim?
1: I'm doing well, Mark. How are you?
0: Everything is good. We are still in our isolation uh, modes. Kim is uh, still teaching her children from home and (laughs) isolating and doing all we can. So we're here to talk about some wine topics to hopefully cheer people up a little bit, Kim, and, and talk about the world of wine.
1: Absolutely. Nice to get, a, get away from it all for a little while and uh, learn a little bit about what's going on in the wine world.
0: So our first story today, Kim, was from the drinkbusiness.com, which is a UK publication. And they did a story about the 10 most powerful wine brands in the world. And we had touched base how things right now in the wine industry, a lot of focus has been off the small brands or the small producers and a lot of focus on the big brands, just because there's so, so much power behind them they're in marketing, they're on the shelves more now than than the small guys. So we thought it'd be good to talk about what are the 10 most powerful brands in the world right now, according to drinkbusiness.com. And we'll start, I guess, with number 10 and work up the number one, Kim. But any anything you'd like to say about powerful brands in the wine world, Kim, before we go through the list?
1: Yeah. So, you know, they came up with... A few different factors for how they would come up with the idea of what makes a powerful wine brand. It's not just rate of sales. You know, it's um, it has to do with awareness of the brand in the public. It has does have to do with how often uh, these bottles of wine are purchased, but it also has to do with kind of how much the public identifies with these wines and will be recommending them to friends, how much they're talked about on maybe social media. So it's not just looking at sales numbers. Um, It's more looking at the marketing and really the brand awareness for a lot of these things. And a lot of these are things that have been on the market for uh, a good long time. And again, are these larger, more powerful brands, like you said, but some of them really don't have a lot of of a foothold in the U.S., which I thought was interesting. So seeing that this is from um, a British perspective, but is looking at kind of an overall look at at these powerful wine brands in the world and not just here in the US can sometimes be a little eye-opening too.
0: Yeah. And a lot of good points, Kim. And I I think one of the things I like to keep saying, you probably get mad at me for always saying the listeners probably get mad at me for saying it, but we talk about the wine wall when you go into a retail store. And we always say that 90% is of the brands that you see are owned by five corporations. So, this article is talking about brands. And when we go through the brands, we can kind of mention who the company is behind them. But five companies and they have multiple brands under their company. So you think about that when you're looking at a shelf, chances are most of the stuff you're seeing on there is owned by one of those companies. So it's tough to really pick out these big brands versus the little guy or the the little guy to get shelf space. So I always like to talk about that, Kim. I know it bugs you at times, but. Oh, no, not at all. I mean,
1: I actually think that that's really important and something that is really hidden from the consumer it's this it's almost this secret thing that you can't look anywhere on a wine label and have it be spelled out to you whether this is a small independent brand or whether this is you know owned by one of these big conglomerates and you know maybe is not a winery is not a vineyard is a label that's been put on there and is is just something that, from a marketing perspective, they're like, hey, you know, this kind of thing sells, and this kind of thing sells, so let's make up a name, incorporating all of those things, and put it on a wine brand, and see how it does. And I know that you're big into labels and helping people read labels, but it is very, very difficult uh, for the consumer to understand just by looking at a label where you know where a wine might fall.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that. This is a worldwide brand list. So uh, a, a lot of things in our local area, for instance, it depends on, it's a regional preference. So a lot of these brands you probably never saw because in our region, they're not very popular, but in the world they, they are. So uh, I, at the end, Kim, rem- please remind me, I want to get back to that point because I had an example of that, but I don't want to say it until we go through the list. So please remind me because you, know, oh, you know I'm going to forget. So I will try to remember. Let's start with number 10 on the list, Kim. Mouton Cadet.
1: Mouton Cadet, which is this big brand out of Bordeaux. Uh, They have a red and they have a white. Um, So basic, basic Bordeaux style blends. Um, I feel like they've been around forever.
0: Long time, yeah. Yeah. I remember first getting into the, the liquor industry In the 70s, and this was one of the probably more popular 750s you could find on the store shelves around here. Mm -hmm. Came in a nice little wooden gift box with one white, one red. I know I'm a lot older than you, but yeah, it was like, you know, 10 bucks, 15 bucks for two bottles. I have not seen it in a long, long time. It is still out there. Yeah, Yeah. it
1: is still out there. We we sold it at Martin Yeti's eons ago. (laughs) Now it seems... Um, 1.5 liters and 750s. So it's still out there.
0: So So this was number 10.
1: And what I actually liked about this list as well is not only did they give the rankings of where each of these wine brands fit, but also um, whether that was a higher place or a lower place from previous years. Uh, So this number 10 place for Mouton Cadet is actually down a little bit for them. So they used to be in like the seven or eight spot and now they're in the 10 spot. So heading maybe off the list, uh, is what I'm interpreting, uh, for Mouton Cadet here. Yeah. Good information. Uh, number nine is also a French brand. Uh, it's JP Chenet. I am familiar with their sparkling wines. I'm not sure if they have other, uh, other types of, of wines besides a bubbly. Are you?
0: Yeah. I actually stocked this for, for years. They have a, a nice Pinot Noir, a nice Chardonnay, a nice Sauvignon blanc And it's a very interesting bottle shape that they put it in. And it retails between 7 and $9 a bottle. So really good, you know, easy drinking, fruity French wine. So uh, I have seen it. It's around and it's good to see number 10. Now, did, I mean, nine, did they go up or down came on the list?
1: Uh, so this goes uh, from number 10 to number one. So number one is the most popular brand in the world.
0: Okay, so did the Chineau... Was it in the top 10 last year?
1: Uh, It was in the top 10 last year, and that did also go down a little bit, so it's following on the heels of the Mouton Cadet.
0: Okay, so two French in the top 10 so far. Number Uh, eight?
1: Number eight is Frontera, which is from Chile. They also make uh, red and white wines in, uh, I think, a couple of different tiers. So basic varietal, uh, varietal wines. And they seem to be gaining. I don't believe they were on the list last year. So Frontera is now on the list. So South America coming in. Yeah, And
0: a lot of our listeners probably know this brand from the, the uh, Toro label uh, with the little, I think there's a bull on it, right? Is that the symbol they use? I think it's a bull. Contractoral from Chile. But uh, so. 1.5 is very popular. Easy drinking, reds and whites.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Number uh, seven.
1: N- number seven. Now we're finally in the U.S. So Carlo Rossi has come in at number seven. So do you think this is the jugs?
0: This is it. I mean, uh, woke <laughs> up a lot of our Franklin listeners because the uh, Franklin, Franklin wine cooler is Franklin based on
1: cocktail. <laughs> Carlo Rossi,
0: Burgundy, or Paisano. And it's owned by one of the big guys, Gallo. So this is the first on the list that's owned by the the top five big companies. So uh, Rossi. and over the years they've they've kind of gone from the the mini jugs to regular format bottles. It's probably one of the biggest. What's the word when you uh, use it more emissions? Uh, they use so much glass in Calorasi. It's like it's the day you regret taking an order in when you get in the pallet of Calorasi because it's the heaviest <laughs> heaviest cases on the face of the earth.
1: Gives you muscles a workout.
0: Yeah. I don't need it at my age.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Number six, can we oh, back to Chile.
1: Back to Chile. This is Gato Negro. It translates as the black cat. I think this is one that is in Massachusetts, but haven't seen it around a lot.
0: Yeah, relatively inexpensive wines. I've never stocked them. I've never tried them. I always get this mixed up with uh, Cotto Negro, uh, Fresnay mm-hmm. Company. Mm-hmm.
1: But- Does this have a black label too?
0: Though, I think some of them, I mean, I did look it up to see who was stocking it because I didn't, you know, have it. And it's just, you know, basic reds and whites and reasonable price points. I think most of the time you'll see these in like a two for, two for 10, two for 12 section in someone's retail store. Uh-huh. What's, uh, oh, back on number five, we're getting back to a brand everyone, if our listeners should hear or of know of, it's Barefoot Kim. Right. Number five. What were they last year?
1: Last year, I think they were six or seven. So they're so, rising on the chart. Uh, maybe even a little well. bit lower down. Yeah. And uh, one of the comments uh, for Barefoot was that they have been helped by the emergence of the spiked seltzer category. So not just wine that we're talking about here, but the, because they are branching out into some of these other uh, trendy beverage categories that, that is helping them, um, you know, helping them with, with market share, helping them with being in front of the consumer uh, and rising their number on this chart.
0: Yeah, that's a big trend right now in, in the uh, liquor industry is these brands that are established like Barefoot or Schmernoff, they're putting their brand name on other product lines. So Barefoot makes a wine seltzer, uh, Schmiernoff makes a malt drink, they make a vodka And they're using the brand to go with other trends that are popular, like the seltzers right now. Mm So this is also, yep, sorry.
1: Sorry, I was going to say it's not just, you know, diversifying within your own line, like where, um, you know, we saw 10 or 15 years ago that vodka companies suddenly were making all these different flavors. You know, it wasn't just vodka, it was mango vodka and lime vodka and coconut vodka vodka you know this is a true differentiation into a different type of product so if we were just talking about wine this might be a little bit different for barefoot but interesting that we're looking at wine at brands so the brand itself and how is the brand doing so I think that that's kind of interesting that you know they've changed their tact a little bit and they've been paying attention to the market and what's working and what are people drinking and and hey let's you know jump on jump on this bandwagon for the seltzers.
0: And like you said, Kim, in, when we started it, these big brands have, it's all about their marketing departments and, and they know where things are going and how to keep pushing their brand. So this is a, another Gallo company and uh, every year they're doing more and more, they're building their own glass plants, they're building their own canning plants, and they just keep going and going and going with their, with their brand line.
1: I'm so glad you know who owns all of these <laughs> because I can't keep them straight in my head. I mean, yeah, even I though there's just a few of these really, really big companies, um, you know, y- you've got your finger a little bit more on, on who, who owns what and who's distributed by what and all that. So thank you for that expertise.
0: Yeah. Well, in the retail world, you have no choice, but to try to find out who's behind them because a lot of times when you're buying, it's based on the brand and in mm-hmm. the the company behind the brand so
1: right the portfolio and who's yeah who's got what it
0: all you know you were in sales so yeah. you, you know how that works
1: i do you're listening to the wonderful world of wine we are your hosts mark and kim you can find us on facebook at the wonderful world of wine and you can learn more about mark at his website franklinlickers.com And more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. So we're back and we are discussing the 10 most powerful wine brands in the world. And we're uh, working down a list that was put together and is put together every year by the drinks business. And they take a look at uh, brand awareness and how often people are buying these brands and uh, just sort of in the market, what is the reputation of, of these wine brands. And, uh, and we're up to the, the top four most popular wine brands in the world. So brand number four, Australia, jumping in here, and it's Jacob's Creek.
0: Finally, Australia hits the board.
1: Right?
0: <laughs> and <Jacobs laughs> This is a Creek brand that's been could, around for a while. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say they've been around a long time. They're now owned by a, a very powerful company called Pernod Ricard, which is behind a lot of liquors you see out there in the, in the world. I, I love this brand. I think they've come out with a, a very interesting product line. Jacobs Creek was known, you know, I think mainly for its Shiraz that was out for years. And lately they've made a lot of like uh, bourbon barrel products that mm, they're aging mm-hmm. because they own liquor companies. They own Chevis, they own James, Jameson. So they're putting their wine in those casks and they're expanding their wine line based on the on brand. So, so is
1: that a newer thing for them doing these, these new productions with, with these uh, special barrel aged wines?
0: Yeah. And when you think about it as a, as a company, I think it's a great idea because you have Chevis, you're making scotch, you have these excess barrels and instead of getting rid of them, you just push them over to your wine division mm-hmm. and you put your wine in them. Same with Jameson. They're going through a ton of barrels. That's very smart. Their product. So then they come out with this line and they're saying it's aged in these barrels. So now you're getting that Jameson guy who might not have been a wine guy who might buy the product just because that brand is on that product right so what's number we're on four so what's three kim
1: uh number three we're going to our biggie this is gallo out of california which you've already mentioned a little bit uh gallo big big brand uh responsible for about 40 percent of all california wine production that's a massive number
0: yeah, huge. And, and this particular brand is their family vineyards. So they, it says Gallo family vineyards and has all sorts of varietals, all sorts of sizes. And I, I was kind of shocked that the Gallo brand is still as high in, well, in the world. I mean, it must be the United States. It's got to be the most popular. What did mm-hmm. you say the volume was in the 40%. That? 40%. Wow.
1: That, I don't think that's 40% of the Gallo family, but that Gallo, the company,
0: produces oh,
1: okay. or or owns or is responsible for 40% of everything that's coming out of California. So I, I think that's what they mean.
0: But if, I mean, if Barefoot's number five and they're number three with this brand, they got to be selling pretty close to the same millions of cases, yeah. which is pretty impressive. It is.
1: It's millions and millions of <laughs> bottles or cases of wine.
0: I don't think I've ever had a Gallo wine, tried a Gallo wine, thinking even huh. way back. I'm sure I have. Never tried it. Have you? I'm sure I have. Recall? Wow. Well, not me.
1: See, I don't remember. So. Yeah. <laughs> nice well, we're not you.
0: supporting this top list right now. So. <laughs> Number two, we're going back to uh, Chile, right? Number right.
1: two. This is one that I have had quite a quite a bit in, in my life. This is Casiero del Diablo. Uh, it means uh, the seller of the devil. Uh, very, very popular brand out of Chile. I don't know what the sales figures are for it, but... Um, is popular has been popular. They are pretty much flat from the year before, so I think that they were also number two the year before, um, but they haven't they haven't really changed much. So their popularity is um, is pretty high and is pretty steady. This is and they the good wines.
0: That's Contratoro. I said Frontero is Toro, right? Isn't this yes. the brand that's Toro?
1: No, I think Frontera is. Frontera
0: is, geez, I. I... I have to look that up now because I, I confused myself which which what on these on these two Chilean lines, but I know this brand does have much higher end wines also available, and I'm assuming the the lower level is what they're pushing here for the top brand, though, correct?
1: you're right Conchitoro was Frontera is frontera
0: it is okay yeah. you looked it up that fast I did Wow.
1: I'm quick on my phone. See,
0: that's why we do our <laughs> Google segment. Quick with my Google. <laughs> now we could, could save that for our next what we Googled. <laughs> so number one, Kim, should be no surprise, right? No surprise
1: at all. Number one is the big gun from Australia, Yellowtail. Many sizes, many flavors, Yellowtail.
0: Now I'm curious, since I've noticed a trend in this brand, what did it say it was last year? I if think it was still number, number one. It was still number one. Yeah, wow! I think it was number I, I'm, one. Last I'm shocked year too. at that, really, because I feel, and what I hear within the wine world is this brand has dropped tremendously in numbers, in, in our area, hmm. uh, I mean, it, it's it's always been the the ten dollar one point five you here on the shelf, just easy drinking. Our Australian juice was very very popular, and, and I think when the Shiraz movement was big, they dominated. And I just don't see even the Varial Shiraz from Australia is just not what it was. So, and and I'll tell you something, I don't even stock it anymore as a retailer, which really, you know, might surprise a lot of people. But I think not only 1.5 sales in retail I'm seeing down, but the looking for the yellowtail seems to be down. That's just my I am
1: a little surprised that this is still number one, but. I mean, is, a, a lot of it probably has to do with the size of the wine. The 1.5 liters um, were always a much, much better seller than the 750 milliliters. So I think for that category that this is dominant. Do you do a lot of 1.5s in your store? You must.
0: No, 1.5s have really dropped and, okay. and the box segment seems to be increasing. People, especially mm. nowadays with everybody quarantined, they they want more volume. And there was a, there was a lot of talk about how people are not spending as much. So they're getting, they want more for their money right now and they're going with a box. So you can get a three liter or four liter for that same you know, value of that one five. So
1: I do admit I have a box of Sauvignon Blanc in my fridge.
0: Yeah. That's, <laughs> and that's a trend. That's probably one of the trends on our list to discuss yeah. coming up soon. But, uh, that's, but that's Australia has
1: been experiencing this downward trend for years. This is not a new thing. Uh, so maybe... On next year's list, we'll see that the Australian ones have started to to dip back. But maybe it's that people aren't coming into your store to buy 1.5s, but yeah, they're going someplace and, else to buy Yeah, 1.
0: And 5, exactly. So. And that gets yeah. back to, I reminded myself, Kim, about this, but it gets back to the original point I wanted to make about how this list, there's really regional things that affect the liquor industry and the wine world. So for years, there's been a wine trending as the number one well, let me ask you, what do you think is the number one Italian wine brand in the United States? Italian wine brand. Hmm. I mean, all our listeners probably are familiar with Bellicera, Cavit, you know, even Prosecco's that are out there. But the the number one brand, I bet you probably a lot of listeners never heard of it.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say like LaMarca Prosecco or Antonori or something like that.
0: No? Yeah, which is owned by some of the big corporations. The number one selling Italian brand for, I think, the last two years has been a, a wine brand called Stella Rosa. Have you ever heard of it?
1: I've seen the billboards, They're but no, I don't know the wines
0: wine. They have like a crown yes. built into yep. the, they have like blackberry, they just came out with watermelon, and it's these flavored fruity wines made in Italy, and in California, it's the number one selling, so that state is driving the numbers. Wow! In the whole country, and it's the biggest imported brand, Italian brand. It oversells Lamaca, Bellissia, Cavett. So that's why I wanted to mention on this, like looking at this list, brands. It's worldwide. It's the average of the, of the world, correct? I mean, but in our area, right. this list would be totally different. Franklin would, you- would be different than North than Norfolk, Milford. It everything's regional even in the liquor field, like certain flavored brandies are popular here, but they're not Mm -hmm. popular next town over.
1: And Um, you also have to think of the size of the production of these brands of wine. So a smaller brand that maybe only produces a hundred thousand cases a year, and that's still a pretty decent number. You know, that's a pretty good sized winery that can produce a hundred thousand cases, but they can't compare in sales to a, Company that produces a million cases. So these brands already have the advantage of having built up their production numbers to such a high level that they can get on a list like this. But if you're only producing 50,000 cases, 75,000 cases, there's no way that you're going to get the sales numbers that are, are going to make you relevant on a list like this. I mean, you might sell out all your wine every single year and you're doing really great, but you're not going to show up on a list like this.
0: Yeah, excellent point. And we're not—we're talking like hundreds of millions of cases that these big brands are making. You know, I think Barefoot's three hundred something million cases. So you have Oof. a lot more shelves you can be put on when you're producing that much. So your brand is noticed a lot more, like you said, Kim. So, and and that's why and you're never you
1: know, out of stock.
0: <laughs> yeah, it gets back to why we're seeing a lot of these brands now with things. You know, the way they are in the world, the the little people are fighting to get their product on the shelves on a normal day. And then you know, a pandemic happens and they have no shot of, of doing business like they, they want to do with these big guys around. So a lot of interesting so, numbers here. Kim, anything else you saw in, in this story?
1: No, I, do, I, I really liked seeing the up and down, you know, who had risen on the list and who had dropped on the list.
0: Yeah, I didn't, you, you've read it way more detailed than me. I didn't even <laughs> notice that. I, I was just going to say, I they didn't really focus on, like we were saying, Kyle Rossi's Gallo, Barefoot's Gallo, they didn't really focus on the corporation behind the brand. No. It was more the brand. Which right, I, and they, I they could have talked
1: way. all about Kanji e Toro, but right. it wasn't. It was just specifically just the brand. for Frontera. Yeah. So I thought that that was interesting too, that it wasn't overall company that was in charge of that, yeah. which you made mention of with Gallo, that it was just Gallo family, just that one label, as opposed to you know everything owned by Gallo.
0: Yeah, and imagine if so, the, there was what, three... Gallo products on the list, Kahlo, Barefoot, and, and Gallo Family Vineyard. So three of their hundred brands are top right. in the world, the top right. 10 in the world. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Right. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go on her website at Vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. For past episodes of our show, please go to SoundCloud or iTunes. And we'd love to hear from you any questions or comments on our Facebook page, The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we have almost a food-related article, Kim, that, that I think our listeners would be interested in. It comes from the Canada, British Columbia area, where a company turns wine waste into flavor boosters or a puree. And we've talked, I believe we talked in the past Kim about wine waste. So you want to just kind of update our listeners what is considered wine waste?
1: So what happens when you make wine is that you have this leftover stuff once you've gotten rid of all the juice. So it's made up of the skins, the seeds, um, some of the pulpy stuff from the inside of the grape that is left over, And winemakers. And you know, winery folks have to figure out what to do with this stuff. So a lot of the time, it's used as uh, feed for livestock. Pigs love this stuff, apparently. But there has been uh, this movement over the last few years to come up with other ways of using this stuff. So um, I believe the last time we had an article about this that we talked about, it was going into cosmetics. So there were like creams and uh, you know scrubby stuff for your skin, uh, thinking that the antioxidants that are naturally occurring uh, in the grape could be then transferred into some skincare products. So I know we've talked about that in the past. Uh, yeah, we've this about one, the
0: skincare, yeah. we talked mm-hmm. about baths people taking baths in it fuel <laughs> being made out
1: of it yep yep and there's you know other things that over over time people have tried doing with it so like this if you soak this in water and then get more of the the sugary juice out of it and then ferment that and distill that that's how you get grappa so it's all this leftover stuff and uh, this country this company out of uh, British Columbia has looked into using it as a flavor enhancer in a lot of um, vegetarian products, like meat replacement sorts of things, to to up the nutritional content, but also the flavor content, because a lot of this stuff still has a lot of uh, a lot of flavor compounds in it.
0: Yeah, and he, I guess he said he was watching bears, wild bears, eat the waste. Yeah, that's right. And that's how he came up with the bears like it. Uh, we must be able to do something with it. And I saw the there was an interesting number they gave Kim about one fifth of the grape weight is used to make wine. The rest is waste. So they so say like one fifth. say the juice that's taken out, and then you have the skins and everything left over. That all that waste you only use one fifth of the grape. The rest is waste, and that's what this gentleman. Yeah, I, you really
1: only you're only using the the water part of it, you know, right? The liquid right. part of it, exactly. so. So yeah. all the
0: other stuff's wasted for years, and I, I i didn't write down the guy's company. Do you remember what the company name was that's selling? Because I was on—oh, it was called Wine Wine Crush, right? Wine Crush. The Wine Crush, and they had like different flavors uh, mixed with salt, like a Malbec flavor. So it's almost like a like a barbecue type seasoning, yeah. right?
1: Right, flavor enhancer to say that like it's Fifteen bucks a bottle.
0: Up. Interesting. Hmm.
1: So like like you would use a a liquid smoke or a Worcestershire sauce or something, and uh, it's used to enhance, um, I don't want to call them fake, but uh, alternative meat products, shall we say.
0: Yeah, so, and that's what they're saying. It's a meat replacement, like you said. And in, in the, in the pumice, so the waste does contain oils, fiber, it contains acids, it contains proteins. So that's why they're saying it could be a meat replacement. Would you try stuff. this? I You're totally would. I, yeah? I would.
1: I would, absolutely.
0: They only had, I think it was Malbec flavored. So each waste is based on the grape waste. So they have a Malbec, a Cab, a Merlot. Uh, I wonder if you can really taste the difference Mm. in the waste because it's not a fermented finish. You know what I mean? How do you taste differences?
1: Well, you do taste differences in the grapes. If you taste like a Cabernet grape next to a Malbec grape next to a Sangiovese grape, you can taste the differences, but it's subtle.
0: But the And way it's different. It be, doesn't taste yeah. like the wine.
1: Yeah. Well, this it's still just it. the skins, right? And so much of the flavor compounds are in the skins. So why not?
0: This would be interesting. They had a lot of recipes online for uh, cakes and shakes and potatoes, a lot of things I never make. So <laughs> I can't say. I, I was interested in the product. I did, I did look it up at the website. So if our listeners, you know, Wine Crush, it's a British Columbian company.
1: But I do really like hearing these stories about companies that are trying to be smart about using what they have, uh, not just throwing stuff away, but... Um taking their, their waste products from their production and coming up with a smart way of, um, continuing to use it and to create something, something different, whether it's, you know, whether it is feeding it to animals. Um, and I know that we have a lot of breweries around here that will take their spent grains and will um, will sell them to farmers who then feed it to their pigs and that's wonderful stuff. And it's nice to see stories about people who are being, uh, creative and environmentally conscious and, uh, Creative. And everybody's
0: helping one another with problems. You know, right. I mean, uh, that, like you said, if you, you're putting out a lot of wine, making a lot of wine, you have a lot of waste. And sometimes they recycle it back to their vineyards. But if, if you don't have a vineyard, you're buying grapes from growers, you get this waste, you got to get rid of it. So it's good that they're working together and solving a, a waste problem. In solving, Canada, anyway, we need solving problems together. Yeah, we That's need right. it in the United States. I'm surprised, like we're talking the big brands, the big brands should get on this and Gallo should be producing something from their waste.
1: Maybe they wonder, do. And we don't know about it.
0: Yeah, I wonder. I mean, they have a lot of waste, so mm. be interested in what they're doing with it.
1: Thank you for listening to the wonderful world of wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at the Wonderful World of Wine. You can leave us your comments and your questions. And you can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers.